Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right? right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is really good. Move, get out of there. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green. Hey, my friend. How you doing? Good. I don't and... know why I said your name like, or said my name like that, but um, but I did. <laughs> and it was a thing, so we're going with it. It was a thing. And tonight we have two special guests. Uh, first guest, who's never been on the show before, Peter from the Midwest, who's been on Shoulder of Orion many times. Welcome to the show. Thank you. This is this is this is a life school. This is great. I love it. I I just found out today that Peter's this is 
P.O. was his first love, and I didn't know that. I thought you were all in for Shoulder of Orion. I knew that you listened to Perfect Organism, but I wasn't, I didn't know that you were one of us, you know? No, no, no. Shoulder of Orion is, is great. It's great and everything. And yeah, hey, you guys talked about some good stuff there, but but the Alien, <laughs> but the Air, Alien series, franchise, whatever you want to call it, that's my first first love, my first foray into, you know, the the sci-fi universe and that's it's it's everything so that's it's great it's it's this seems a lot more fun even though we're going to talk about prometheus you know the, the ideas <laughs> yeah the ideas film Uphill versus, battle peter yeah but you know shoulder of orion and, and blade runner that's a little headier it kind of lends itself to sort of more of those sort of serious discussions where we're alien and aliens to me it, the whole universe it's just pure fun so yeah this is totally. fun this is good to be good well welcome to the show um, hang on, before next, you introduce this next guy, I'm going to give you a second. shitty Latinx guy this, who we, couldn't this, find this, anybody. This piece of shit. <laughs> of, 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 of <laughs> terrific we, we just went to the street like, dude, we need a fourth <laughs> like, person. Like, is, this, is he homeless? <laughs> I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you got to have the big introduction. We... You know, get dramatic. No, it's fitting. You got to go. Everybody knows who this is now that, now that he's already talked because he's got his Long Island accent. But before we get to you, Peter uh, Peter let us know tonight that he's been listening to the show since before I was on, which which has been kind of, kind of a while now. My question for you, Peter, is were you listening to it before this next schlub was on? Because he predates me on this show by like Oh, yes, months. he does. By like, like, like by a bit. seven months. Yeah, I think. No, I did. I, Vogel's one of the, he's, he's He's a good one. I, I just did said Vogel, Vogel, but it's Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how well I know him. I mean, that's just how well. People call me no. by my last name anyway. So. <laughs> No, I, I the the old crew is great. I mean, each each of them each had their own takes, and it's it was always really fun. And then, you know, Patrick came on and ruined it with a big vocabulary, and there you go. <laughs> That's it, Dave Gogol. Welcome back, my great friend of Xenomorphing.com and High Mind Podcast, and many other great institutions. Uh, among them, Perfect Organism. Welcome back, buddy. Gentlemen, the Billy Butcher of Alien Fandoms here for you guys. The Billy Butcher of <laughs> Alien Fandom. I love it. That's awesome. I feel like I missed a good Halloween costume opportunity. I feel like I'm, I'm kind of I, I kind of got that going on a little bit with the yeah. hair and the beard. I feel like I could yeah, definitely. Such a great show. Holy shit. Oh, make this ep- this episode show. should be about the We need boys. to do a Let's frame rate. We need to do a frame rate on, on yeah. the boys. Oh, yeah, we totally. probably do. Okay. Uh, so tonight we are here to discuss the cast the cast and characters of Prometheus, uh, which is another episode in our series, Open Her Eyes, The Journey to Prometheus. So again, thanks everybody for being on. And I, I just thought as we are starting most of these shows about Prometheus sort of in the beginning of each subject matter. So in terms of Prometheus, well, actually, let's back up before we do that. Peter, what's your relationship with the Alien films, and how did you get into them? Yeah, you haven't been on a PO yet. We got to do this. No, this is good. This is good. So this is this one is a little bit different. Uh, my answer to the shoulder of Orion question for Blade Runner and to most science fiction is going to be introduction through my dad, and you know, so that's always a special place. That's always you know all the good baggage that comes with that and all the good associations. Alien is mine. So it, it has an even more special place. It, it's sort of my own, um, I want to say, you know, probably, I can't, I can't, no, it was not a blockbuster. It was a small video store attached to a Super America, which is a Minnesota gas chain, um, but a small video store attached to a gas station where it was in walking distance of my house. 
and the clerk did not care how old you are, whatever you wanted, it was yours. And I remember going down there one time, it's gotta be pre 10 years old and seeing the cover for Alien and just being like, oh man, that looks good. And kind of sneaking it up. And maybe I grabbed like, you know, some cartoon or some other video too to kind of hide it under. And I just remember getting it and being like, oh, that was no problem. Two bucks, here you go. And taking that home. And I may even have been on a sick day is sort of how I'd like to remember it. You know, like no one at home, both parents at work, home from school. That's not, that can't be true. But that's how I like to imagine it. And so it's just one of those where I just randomly picked it for the cover, watched it and was sort of, I remember initially being that young and being like, eh, I don't know. And then just being full out scared the rest of the night. My parents coming home from work and me just like, can you take me to the bathroom? And just, you know, for weeks then, not wanting to be alone in my room in the uh-huh. dark. And, but from there, then it turned into essentially, you know, a similar story to the other stories I've told where it became one of the rotating classics for the group of friends that I had in, in late uh, grade school, maybe, you know, fifth, sixth grade into middle school where, you know, it was just one of those, it's late night on the couch. Um, but it was a little different in that when we would watch Alien or Aliens and eventually Alien 3, it wasn't one of the movies where you sat and talked and talked shit or tried to be funny and make jokes and make everyone laugh. It was, when we put one of these ones on, it was just silence. It was, everyone's going crazy. You throw an alien or aliens and it was just like nothing. And because everyone just loved to watch. And then after it's done, we'd have fun. But when it was on, it was a highly revered, this is an event, this is some scary shit. So Alien, it, it just has, to me, it just, it's, it's, for me, it's, it's in a weird way, it's, it's childhood, it's fun, it's exploration. And so I just have such great, um, I guess, associations and sort of none of the baggage that any of the other science fiction genres or movies have for me. For me, it's just pure fun. What's your order of alignment, favorite to least favorite, in terms of the OT? It depends when you would ask me. I have probably seen Aliens way more, and that's still my go-to feel-good summer blockbuster half. You know, just on a random night, you've had a long day, you want something to just take your mind off anything, it's Aliens. It's it's fun, it's great. Um, where Alien, I feel I have to have it's set up to where you have that moment or you have that two hours or whatever the running time is of, I do not want to be disturbed. I want to live on this ship. I want to be with the crew. I want to be with your family on this ship and just experience it. So it really depends. And then alien three is just, I want to have my heart ripped out and just, uh, I'm a fan of that movie and, you know, from the beginning, I really enjoyed it. So that might cause some rift, but I think a lot of people have come to terms with it. But anyways, it's, it's hard for me to pick, but ALVNs would be the most worn out of the VHS tapes if I still had the VHS tapes of it. So, And getting specifically to Prometheus for a moment, I don't know too much about Peter's background. We've talked a little bit about it. I do know quite a bit about Dave Gogol's background with Prometheus for many reasons, <laughs> one of which being that when I used to listen to PO before I was on it, you frequently defended it quite a bit. 
Um, right. And which I always appreciated because I never liked it very much. And I was always <laughs> like, oh, great. Give me, give me someone, shit to like about this movie. Someone's got to do the dirty work. All right? Someone's got to do the dirty work. Someone's got to do it. This is like a, it's, I mean, you know, you've been on the show a million times, but, but this is the first time I think we're doing an episode oh, with you on that is about Prometheus <laughs> in particular. Yes, I know. It's exciting. So what, what's your, what's your like relationship <laughs> with it? Um, it's, I don't want to say it's, con- it's, it's kind of, it's a close one because for a long time, or it seems like a long time, this year seems like a long time, um, I was kind of, I was obsessed with the Alien franchise for a while, then I just kind of petered out because as far as my awful memory um, takes me, there was a period of, there wasn't a lot of comics or books. I'd seen the movies a kajillion times, uh, the trilogy, Resurrection, AVP, um, not counting Requiem, and I just kind of leveled out, I guess. It was just, you know, I was talk, still talking about it with my friend. This is before I got put on to the, uh, the internets and the groups and the social medias with all you crazy motherfuckers. Um, so it just kind of just kind of petered off. And then Prometheus was announced. A new Alien movie was announced. I'm like, all right, cool. A prequel, sweet. And Ridley Scott had said he wanted to explore the guy in the chair. And I'm like, awesome. I'm fucking obsessed with that shit. I always love the comics. I've told you my favorite stories, my mind going crazy with theories or whatever. I'm like, all right this is exciting and then as really as i've learned he does he kind of like eh, you know what let's do something little else and then came the prometheus title i'm like all right and even as um you know they said on the the prometheus um which i'm gonna call it um commentary it is kind of a pretentious title i'm like all right what the hell what kind of title is this what is this and it was the first movie i really followed from you know beginning to it coming out i'm like all right not a real prequel kind of its own thing about engineers i'm like you know what this sounds pretty good i'm like all right i saw it in the theater so midnight showing with a few friends of mine you know in 3d imax and i knew it was there were parts of it that was flawed you know some of it were repeated beats as i said but i loved it i just loved the the themes and the idea the stuff with the space jockey and all of a sudden i'm like holy shit i care about this franchise again i'm like all right i know for some people it was the complete opposite the people want to run from the hills and doesn't even want to acknowledge the movie but for me it reignited the alien flame you know i found the the dark horse came with the new avp comics the uh fire and stone um which got me writing again you know um one of my friend's website which got me to xenomorphin which got me to you guys so circle life right there <laughs> um so we are the proprietary to- owners of xenomorphing and hive mind <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I just heard a rights negotiation take place, and I'm, I gotta say, it feels good. Feels good. I got some rights for you. <laughs> Yo, you're and then, fire and fire and stone. You're right. That's 2014, I think. Right? That was that was between Prometheus and Covenant, or 2013 or something. To, unfortunately, for my wallet, also to uh, NECA, the toy company. I'm like, oh, there's yeah. figures, and go, oh, my lord, my poor checking account after that. It just opened up a whole new world, which eventually got me into the um the facebook groups and that's how i networked with all you guys and you know it's like i owe a lot to that movie because without that there's none of this right here so i know the the movie has its flaws but i do love its you know its themes of course as we've discussed a million times it's gorgeous to me that is able to um go over the negatives it has but we've discussed the positive negatives about the movie a million times but I have a big connection to the movie, despite its um, unpleasantness, its cause in the fandom. (laughs) 
I think there's something really special actually in what you said for once. Um, I think I, I have think my moments. Don't expect something, it again. Something special in there is that um, it reminds me of why I defend covenant so much in, in settings of people and, and why I stick up I stick up for it even though I'm aware of issues that it has so much is because it did for me what Prometheus did not do for me. But in hearing how Prometheus was for you when it came out, I, I'm like, oh, that's that's why I get it. Because for me, like Covenant was a re-engagement. It was a reignition. It drove me back online to look for people to talk about it with. It drove me back into all these different groups. It, it, you know, I started getting back into my collecting again and stuff. And there's there's this part of me that is always going to be linked emotionally with that movie coming out and what it meant for me. I think part of why it meant so much to me was because Prometheus didn't <laughs> in some ways. And so I felt like kind of upset about it. Um, but I think if there's like a, a bridge between, you know, the prequels kind of have their own like separate fan camps sometimes, and then there's some crossover. But I think something we can all relate to is that experience of getting a prequel as as like, you know, an adult who's lived with this stuff for at least, you know, technically an adult who's lived with this stuff for a long time. And that emotional feeling of like revisiting this material and having a connection to it again. Kind of like when you're a kid and you're first falling in love with something, you know? So I think that's, um, I'm glad you brought that up because we haven't really talked about that very much on the series so far. So thanks, Dave. Yep, yep. So should we, we should probably talk to Peter though about his, this kind of story with Prometheus for sure. Like, where were you? Do you remember when it was announced and your first initial reactions to it? Yeah, um, it was 2012, which was a big year for me and my family in that we had recently had our twins, my wife and I, we were living in New York. And at that point, I want to say I, I saw it in the theaters in New York by myself some night after work. And was I think well I'll back up just a little bit I did not follow or wasn't sort of connected to the internets as it's called um, at the time it was coming out I had little to no knowledge about what it was going to be other than it's somehow connected to the rest of the alien universe so that enough was for me to say look I'm in it's been forever since I've had any alien content um, you know, another singing of Google's praises, the fact that, you know, a big comic guy, I loved all the alien comics. Um, I, I, you know, even the, I, I'm losing the name of it right now, but even the, you know, it was like the red and black ants, a alien wars and stuff. Genocide? Like yes, genocide. Yeah. Genocide, yeah. yeah. I still have, you know, a comic or two of that in, in my house somewhere around here. Um, but I just poured through those as kids. And so it was just, for me, I think the thing I've always wanted to sort of be able to get on here and, and talk about is I think the big thing that always drew me into um, was the actual alien itself, um, the beast. And so it's the creature that I was always most interested in. Later I've developed, oh, hey, by the way, you know, alien, it has these, this great cast. And while it may be, you know, some of the best ensemble acting of all time to me it was just well okay but when is the alien going to show up again and do some creepy dancing um and so for me i was very excited about prometheus just knowing it's somehow connected to alien i didn't know you know the various development i didn't know anything about the backstory i wasn't really even a ridley scott quote-unquote fan at that point it was just here's another alien movie i think it's going to be good let's do it 
And I remember watching it and I don't even remember seeing it in the theater. But what I do remember is later it coming out either on DVD. I mean, this couldn't, maybe we got some sort of, you know, you could scratch this out if, in case, you know, the government's listening, but it might have even been some bootleg that I got on the streets of Parlum. But somehow that same year, I watched it in my apartment with friends. And that's what New I York, remember. New York, baby. Yeah. And that's what I remember is. Concrete wa- jungle. It's <laughs> 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 a New, New York pride, man. We got bootlegs in Harlem. It's fucking great. That's right. DVD. <laughs> DVD. You want DVD? <laughs> That's the home yeah. right home. Yeah, I used to DVD? fucking buy those in high school. Yeah. We have Manhattan we flashbacks now with them. Uh, buy bootleg DVD fake marijuana. I would buy yeah. fake marijuana from the same people that were selling DVDs in New York. A train up to 145th. That was the <laughs> yeah. stop. That's probably where I bought it too. <laughs> so anyway, I remember watching it with friends, but I, I had to have seen it before because I remember what was coming. And I remember... I remember prefacing before we watch it. Okay, guys, it's not going to be so great, but let's have some fun. And, you know, I, so I didn't have the the prep. I love hearing one of my favorite things about listening to the podcast, um, sort of, let's call it pre-Patrick, was a lot of the talk about people's anticipation of covenant and how they felt about Prometheus. And, you know, to me too, and I think I feel similar to Patrick, but I, that's why I love Gogol's and everyone's sort of take on it on this show is that I felt, I've always felt terrible about not loving Prometheus. I feel bad because it is good, but it's just not alien or aliens or alien three. And that's not fair, but I, I do feel bad about it. So to wrap this up quickly is my initial take on it was that was amazing. I loved David. The first, what is it, 18 minutes of it is still, I think, great. Just David alone on the ship walking. The engineer part's great too, but what I really enjoy is sort of that, that isolation feeling, that sort of just kind of air to breathe. He's walking around the ship empty corridors he's checking on people he's being a little creepy watching people's dreams um but that felt to me very familiar and i think that's very true to form for the series um and then the rest of the movie you know degrades i think very quickly and we can talk about that more but that was sort of my first take was you know this is an alien movie it was great i'm so happy it happened but it left me feeling bad that I didn't like it more. Well, lucky for you and everybody listening to this, tonight we're going to unpack the thing I think most of us can agree we love the most about Prometheus. And that is amazing characters. characters. (laughs) This is what Jamie's always talking about when she's character (laughs) development. Universally regarded as the best characters in any film. (laughs) Covenant's characters aren't great either. I, 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 yeah. This is this is definitely not the strongest. It's a wonderful movie if you put it on mute. <laughs> yeah, if you put it on mute and just kind of do this the whole time with your eyes. As they like to say. <laughs> that was one thing I actually did after what, listening to you guys early on. Yeah. I remember Pat, or Jamie coming on at some point and being like, I've, you know, sometimes I put that movie on and I put it on mute 
and listen to like some music I really like, or even just the soundtrack. And I remember doing it after and being like, this is amazing. <laughs> That's the only way that I've been able to do other. Oh, go, yeah, go. But seek out the fan edits. There's the chaos edition and the engineer's edition, the extra half hour. It doesn't save the movie, depending on how much you like or dislike, but it's much more enjoyable because a chunk of stuff that was cut out or shouldn't have been viral is mixed in depending upon which version you watch and is a much better experience. I have the movie on 4K Ultra HD and I still, I can't I can't not watch it without the edited stuff in there. It's to me a better experience. You know, people love those editions, those yeah. fan editions. Of course, make sure you buy, uh, make sure you support the movies and actually buy them as well. <laughs> or you could go to Harlem at 145th or go to Street. You could get free They got fan edits. They got DVD. theatrical DVD. releases. They got fake pot. They're fucking great. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's I have to watch those uh, alternate cuts. And there's there are um, some made of Covenant too, which I haven't seen yet. Um, I so you. I should go to watch an alternate. I'll cut. Slide into your DMs. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, have you seen alternate cuts of this? No, yet? not interested. No, you haven't. No, I've tried. I've watched that film four times in the theater. I own it <laughs> on 4K as well. I do watch it with the sound down because it's beautiful. And there's stuff in there that those engineers I can't get enough of, you know. But I just, I'm not gonna to watch do research. Fucking to do research for this series, I've had to rewatch it obviously to be able to talk about it. And I and I have not done it with the sound on again yet. I, I really. <laughs> I find it so much more I'm enjoyable. I'm definitely outnumbered here. I can read it and <laughs> I can like look at how beautiful it is. That's what to believe. That's what I choose to believe. But I, I, sort of moving on to the cast and the characters <clears throat> of the film, I remember when Numi Rapace was announced and I remember I had seen the um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, that whole trilogy of films, or it might have been two-parter, that was filmed in wherever she's from is it amsterdam or denmark sweden sweden okay yeah and i remember seeing the films before i knew she was cast and thinking you know she was simply amazing in those films i mean the acting everything she was just a powerhouse um i'd never seen anyone as visceral and as believable as her in a long time and so then when i found out she was cast for prometheus i was like oh fuck yes this is going to be amazing um so I initially had really a lot of confidence in in the casting of her. And of course, I think it was announced by Ridley Scott that he was like, yes, it's going to be a female lead. I strongly believe in that still for this film series. So I was like, sure, sold based on prior work. I don't know who the hell she was before this movie. <laughs> I didn't see Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I didn't have seen anything of work. She was announced. I was like, all right, cool. And it was really my first... Um, exposure to her i didn't really feel any other way it was just like all right someone new female lead cool let's do this well at this point she she had only done the the girl the, there were three there's the trilogy that came out in 2011 yes. right um and that that was it in terms of english speaking well it's not even english right hers are not translated there are right? some like parts her. in english but most of it it's it's um uh closed captioned or you know subtitled yeah right because i, 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 I keep getting the, david, the david fincher one that came out later which I, I was, was good yeah, yeah it's also really good yeah. but yeah but she had she had done those three movies and that was kind of a breakout right oh google you'll love it you'll love it if you can yeah. handle subtitles right. yeah yeah it's good read, so um, i think i can handle subtitles it's almost like a film noir <laughs> too it's very very it's very different um but but i feel like it 
it, it was it was definitely um, kind of a. It reminded me a lot of the casting for Alien because you know before before that came out, Sigourney Weaver was kind of an unknown entity mm-hmm. in terms of Hollywood, you know, um, and a lot of the ensemble cast. I mean, they're like Yafet Koto had kind of a following, but it was pr- pretty much you know a group of and Tom Skerritt obviously, but it was pretty much a group of uh, you know relative unknown hardworking character actors who've been in a million things, but nobody really talked about them very much. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I kind of I like that. I was more surprised by Michael Fassbender's casting. Because he was already like a huge star by that point, um, and I was like, oh, "That's an interesting choice." But I also was already totally into him at that. I thought he was such a fucking awesome actor, so I was like all about that. And we, yes. I, I don't want to, I don't want to move on yet. I want to make sure we slow down and go back to to Numi. Um, but uh, but that was the, just just kind of like show you the difference. Like for me, like that Michael Fassbender, I had a whole entire lexicon for him as soon as I knew that he was on there. Numi Rapace or Rapace, I was like, I, first off, I don't is it Rapace or Rapace? Does anybody? I don't know. know? I've said it both ways. Rapace. Rapace. Nuomi Rapace. I feel like she uh, she was totally unknown to me, and she was anchoring this film, and I was uh, I was excited to see what that meant. I mean, she she was yeah. badass, right? Absolutely, uh, and I was a fan of Fassbender as well. I think he is an incredible actor, and usually he sort of commands really good performances. He he chooses pretty good scripts. He chooses pretty good films. Um, so, and was, I don't know who was announced first, really, if it was Rapace or if it was Fastbender, but I do remember hearing about bo- when you heard sort of about Rapace and then Fastbender, you're like, holy shit. And then eventually you hear about, um, Charlize Theron, who was an Academy Award winning actor at that point. You're like, this is going to be a fucking amazing. And then you yeah. hear I- Idris Elba and then, yeah. you know, the cast keeps growing and they're these top pedigree actors from really great things um how could you fail it was amazing although idris elba i i, I think the only thing i knew him from was the office before this honestly he I, was in I, luther like, wait for before 2012 2011 in luther during that time luther played for a long time that old really yes i i, I love luther is a great series i love that series never seen that either dude that's good you had it's it like the harlem they got that on, on bootleg you grab it. <laughs> it's like the british shaft no not really <laughs> um that's a it's a very good show i love that i love that show but um but but uh, that being said though i mean idris elba i mean that was a british you know television series that you know before streaming had really blown up so this was something where you know you really had had to kind of be in the know to to know who he was at least from where i sat at that time um but this this was the first thing i I had seen him in that i was like aware of him as a dramatic actor in it and i was also really blown away by that and then you have guy pierce as well who is we all knew from Memento and so many films that he was in, um, some amazing films. And then Patrick Wilson, who had been in a shit ton of things, started off on Broadway, bit of a character actor. I think he was, I don't know if Watchmen had come out by then, by 2012. Was Watchmen out? It was 2010, I think, right? Was it? Okay. Um, I, I love I fucking Wilson. love Watchmen. Oh my God, that movie oh, was so What a great movie. Mm-hmm. Not talked about enough. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I want. Yeah. get enough credit. Underrated. No, it's not. It's held up very well too. It was it's the boys before there yeah. was the boys. I think it's kind of like that deep, yeah, similar, similar type of satire. Um, yeah, no, yeah. well done satire, fair satire, extremely so the, well done. Yeah. So then here, so so then we essentially have our cast of characters. I mean, there are smaller character actors like Benedict Wong, who has gone on to a great career. Katie Dickey, who was in The Witch, she was the mother in The Witch. Um, of course, years later, Ian White, who played the engineer, um, and then sort of a lot of bit players. But one one really great actor is Sean Harris, 
who was recently with Fassbender in that Shakespeare film, which was it? I can't remember the name. He was in Macbeth. Macbeth. Okay. Yeah. Which is a brilliant film scored by the 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 uh, composer for Covenant. Uh, beautiful score. Um, great film, too, if you like Shakespeare. It's really visually arresting, too. It's amazing. Anyway, so you have a great cast of characters. And so that was sort of the setup. And a lot of these things dropped one by one. So, And, of course, this is I think this is a different time in social media history where it's not what it is now, sort of this big negative machine, which I think a lot of it is right now, sort of this big negative thing. Whereas before, it was just really this place of excitement. I think... Um, you know, uh, movie theaters were dropping like video diaries of what was going on in the big movies that they were making. So people were going to social media to watch those video diaries like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or bigger films. It was it was really an exciting place. So having all of these announcements made and people coalescing online and in groups. And I think, again, this was post or pre um, presence of social media or at least. I wasn't in any fandoms in social media at this point. I was still on uh, Alien vs. Predator or AVP Galaxy. So that's where I was going for my experience. Yeah, I wasn't on too. anything. No you forums, were... nothing. Just BSing with my friends, and that was really it. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. You're but forgetting uh, Logan Marshall Green, too. Don't forget who, who was the. I'm not forgetting. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> He's forgetting somebody. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a forgettable. pretty big part of the movie, though. Oh my god, he's so bad at this movie. Holy shit! For somebody who's so good too, because the upgrade was amazing. He's been great in so many other things since then. But this movie, oh my god, that role. Oh, Idris Elba. Sorry, real quick. Any chance I get to talk about this movie? I first saw him in the forgotten comic book action movie, The Losers, which has, if you look at oh, it, has, yeah, it has him. It has Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, Zoe, uh, I'm going to put your last name. I'm sorry, uh, Saldana, um, um, Chris Evans. So it has Captain America, hmm. um, yeah, uh, Idris Elba, Gamora, Alex, yeah, Gamora. Um, yeah, it's That's very, awesome. very fun action movie. I thought it, I thought it was pretty good. And the first time I saw him, I'm like, yeah, this guy's pretty good, but I never I've really never seen that. Yeah, it's cool. Check it out. So but Logan Marshall Green also, just like Numi Rapace Rapace, was um, <laughs> somewhat unknown to American audiences at the time because he was doing off off Broadway things. He was in theatrical productions. He was in Devil, um, I think, which was that um, uh, M Night Shyamalan. It was sort oh, of he a was smaller that. That film. Was a solid movie I think too. Devil was before Prometheus. I didn't realize I he was in that. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that are the trees killing us in that one? No, devil is no, when trapped in the elevator. No, that was the awful happening. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, the happening. Oh, <laughs> garbage. <laughs> trees are very dangerous, guys. Watch yeah. out. So I, I suppose we should just open it up. What does everybody think? Patrick's scared to talk about something he doesn't like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not scared. I mean, we just get a, lot of, we get a lot of complaints about it. I'm trying to trying to tread lightly. Jordan Harris is... Um, I first saw him in this movie, then I realized how good he is in the Mission Impossible movies. I don't mm -hmm. know if either of any of you yes. are enlightened enough to watch Rogue Nation and Fallout, which are two exceptional action movies. Sean he's Harris in both? Is, he's a, yeah, he's the, the main foil. He's a, he's a bad guy. I only saw one of those. I don't. Yeah, I walked out on it. Fallout <laughs> is an action masterpiece. It's up there with Fury Road and really? Soldier. It's, well, Fallout yeah. is great. Fallout hmm. is... I didn't yeah. see the other one, though. What was it? Rogue, Rogue Nation? Yeah. Rogue Fitness? I don't know what it's called. Yeah, Rogue that, Nation. That one. <laughs> Rogue one. 
Uncanny X Men Rogue, Rogue Edition. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, but his character, on the other hand, hmm, not so much. I mean, well, I think that's the thing is the characters didn't have a lot to characterize. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They didn't have a lot it's... to go on. I think it was um, Patrick. If you mentioned it, like I think the idea behind it was that scientists don't all have to be this stereotype, which I get. But the way it was presented in the movie, it's these aren't scientists. <laughs> these are these are morons. I love this movie, but they're morons. I think yeah, a big part of it for me was they didn't. By the time Prometheus came out, the trope of a special team handpicked because each person can do a different job. One guy knows how to use a screwdriver. One guy can do a pliers. <laughs> yeah. One guy can do the plunger. Like, and by the time this came out, that was no longer a sort of a an interesting way to develop a story, a character's backstory, or to sort of sort of shorthand to quickly get from too much background to what are these people doing? Yeah. And by the time we got to done to death. Yeah. I mean, there's been predator there'd been, I've mentioned before, you know, even the initial alien versus predator, at least in that one, you had people saying things like, I forgot the, her main role, even though we did the shit show on it. Um, but, yeah, you had, yeah. Yeah. You had at least her saying, Hey, look, you're about to stick a bunch of scientists in the Arctic with no survival training. What are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. Where in this movie, it's they, I get it. There's not a whole lot of ways to start a backstory. So like Jurassic Park or like a lot of movies, you find the initial two main characters in the field doing their work. And here's what we do. We, we explore, we discover. But then to jump from cave drawings to you're on a spaceship... <laughs> without anything i mean I, again i also like patrick yeah. don't want to just sort of shit on this movie but uh it's just so hard when before we had so good and again that's been discussed to death on this show which is what i love and i if we want to revisit it it's fine but i mean you have such a rich and some of the best casting some of the best ensembles together people who feel like they live together as your background and now you throw us into your typical even though it's not it's supposed to be a special it's in our universe that we love but you're throwing us the worst bone ever which is again the piecemeal hand-picked team of specialists but in this instance they're scientists and I don't even know that any of their degrees or specialized knowledge are useful in what they're trying to do. So that to me is just, it's hard to, they didn't, they skipped over the lived in. Let's just go jump right into the ship and kind of see how they develop and let's live with them for a minute and gave us the typical, by the time Prometheus came out already really tired trope of, we're just going to give you one sentence about their background and that's going to be enough. And then we're going to have the briefing. So that's just the problem. And, and I think it, there's not a whole lot to, to, to hate on as far as the acting. I think everyone really tried hard, at least, you know, Fassbender, Charlize, 
I really enjoyed some of their stuff. I mean, Fassbender to me is the standout again because David, I really enjoy him. You know, Jamie. Yeah. He's... Sorry, Patrick. Yay. Uh, <laughs> no, I like David too. Love I just David. don't. No, I don't think he's an, a protagonist. But I like yeah. the superior yeah. version of the Covenant. We're going to keep it hundred. Yeah. Google named himself after this character. <laughs> there you go. So, His original well, name Wayland was actually named him after me. It was Billy. It was Billy I'm Gogol. The proto- I'm the prototype. <laughs> you were you the, the characters based on you. That's, that's right. So that's the challenge. I think that they just didn't start it out very well they sort of didn't they dumbed it down as we hate to say but they did and then so i think the hardest part of this and i'd welcome anyone to jump in and so what are some things that you actually felt okay that was earned or you know what are some things that people actually really enjoyed about this cast as they worked together i will say one more annoying thing in the 12 minutes i watched the film before jumping on here um there's a scene where um Shaw talks to uh, what's his name? Sorry, I'm looking at the list. Janet. Oh, oh. You know he's fi- he's piloting the ship, and they've only we've sort of they've come out of hypersleep all that, and she sort of gives him some sort of like one off, like hey, what's going on? You know we're buddies, but it's like you've been asleep for two years. <laughs> he's piloting a ship. You're some random scientist. Like what do you guys have to talk about? So, anyways, but beyond that, what are some stuff that actually people really sort of could glob onto at least i have a few i'm not gonna get to all of them but um i know it's hard to believe in this particular group of humans but um i liked um i like the whole stuff with um vickers and uh david their relationship and also vickers and um wayland i thought that was a cool dynamic i really enjoyed that you know they completely wasted guy pierce but that's a whole other story um I thought that was very good. Like you just mentioned, uh, Peter, the Charlie Saron and Fassbender were standouts in this movie. They both, you could tell the screen presence was there. They enjoyed the role. I loved how ice in her veins, um, Fickers was. You could tell that she didn't want to be on this fucking ship because she's missing her fucking promotion for her fucking dad. Um, and Fassbender is just phenomenal. I mean, he was so good. They gave him two roles in the sequel. Um, He's just great. It's a good mix of, it's like, all right, is he another bishop or is he, um, or is he Ash or is he, it's fine. He's kind of something, a mix of both. You get it. You weren't quite sure and you still weren't by the time the movie ended, which I thought was brilliant. Um, I thought uh, Yannick, Yannick, however you pronounce it, he was underutilized, Idris Elba, but um, he was, they had some good scenes. I liked his kind of just down to earth. Um, Captain stuff, the amazing you've heard me bitch about before the cut scene with him and Vickers after Vickers um, has barbecued um, Holloway. Uh, so it was a great scene, you know, with him telling the story about his military past. And then Vickers, like, I don't give a shit, it's burned my hand. It's the only thing I'm upset about. Awesome. Because <laughs> really didn't care. Um, though there was their minor characters, I can't, I can always forget the names. It was uh, Benedict Wong's and the other guy, uh, Chance and whoever. I kind of like their little- Ravel, right? Ravel, yeah. I like their little, kind of the most, some of the most natural banter was them two up and back with the bets. I thought that was pretty cool. Just that little I like their, I like their banter too, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was like- it felt I like Ray Spall's like, character too, I thought for a, a while. Milburn? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I thought- The hammer thought beat's he, coming, bitch. Yeah, I thought he was- Fun. I mean, for I mean, he yeah, yeah, was, absolutely. He well acted the character. Yeah, um, yeah. But I feel like 
the undertone, uh, unfortunately, when they have that debriefing, before the characters are even really saying anything, that scene sort of eviscerates them because you're asking, as Peter pointed out, oh, so this is what we're doing here? So they don't even know what they're doing there. They're, they're just <laughs> fucking two years on this mission. Like, how did they even, did the ship stop by and just grab their cryotubes and suck them in and, oh, hey, you're, on a, you're on a mission. Like the Betty in Resurrection. Where are like, we? <laughs> so you have these characters who are on the outset, they're, you're like, how are you on the ship and not knowing what you're doing? Why are you debriefing these people? <laughs> so, oh, so we're here because of a map you saw. Yes. Oh, that part. I mean, you didn't. Jamie, I never that. thought of it. That's a great Jamie, point. <laughs> they're just where where they're like where, and it's even like you know you think you'd be ready, so you're at a debriefing. You're going to be in front of what are supposed to be some of the brightest people, handpicked again, for your group, and they give this presentation, this nice PowerPoint presentation where you can do the the hand mm-hmm. movement. You got to have that in the movie, um, <laughs> but then where where the guy with the uh, is, uh, I keep forgetting people's names, but Hollow yeah, Highfield, Milborn, Milborn, Jamie's favorite character, fucking hammer paid boy. He goes, okay, well, um, do you have any data to back that up? And you think they'd be like, yes, thank you, thank you for asking that question. I'm a scientist at a scientific presentation. I've been waiting for that softball, and like Jamie already joked, well, it's what I choose to believe. Like, just oh my god, are you serious? <laughs> Okay. Let me show you why you guys are here. These are images of archaeological digs from all over the earth. That's Egyptian, Mayan, Sumerian, Babylonian. That's Hawaiian there at the end, and Mesopotamian. Now, this one here is our most recent discovery. It's a 35,000-year-old cave painting from the Isle of Skye in Scotland. These are ancient civilizations that were separated by centuries. They shared no contact with one another, and yet. The same pictogram showing men worshiping giant beings pointing to the stars was discovered at every last one of them. And the only galactic system that matched so far from Earth that there's no way that these, these primitive ancient civilizations could have possibly known about it. But it just so happens that that system has a sun. That How is did they... crazy to me. I know. But not even not even that. Why, why would you pluck these people with this expensive once in a while, never before mission? And why would you wait until you fly out to brief them? Why don't you <laughs> tell them beforehand. Yeah, like two years of your life, which you could possibly die, because, you know, two years, anything's possible, and they have no clue what they're doing. Well, we, have a, <laughs> we have a mission for you. Just put me to sleep. <laughs> Let me know in a couple of years. <laughs> we'll talk in a couple of years. But I really feel like, in all seriousness, that really de- um, hurts the characters, because you're like, yeah, well, you how, how do you not know? Why are you on a mission that you don't know, you know? Um, and... I think that the acting, the actors do a pretty good job initially of the stuff that they, of, of the material until Milburn goes a little bit nuts and he gets lost in the cave that he just mapped out and those things that we've been over before. Um, but I really think that there's some good material that has been unfortunately hampered by the writing. <laughs> there's like, another moment. It's like, 
Holloway is like, well, folks, congratulations. We just discovered extraterrestrial life or whatever. And they're all like, what? <laughs> they all look like, like, oh, that's why we're doing this. But that's like, but go, sticking with the debriefing like scene for just a what? second. Like that's Holloway d- so devolves into, we all know where we're going to get Holloway. With, with Holloway. But at the beginning, during that presentation, he's actually pretty good. He says, look, here's six different amazing drawings from you know, quickly old ancient civilizations. But hey, at least we've followed this pattern and we think they're doing this and we're doing that. And by the way, the only, you know, we did our research and the only system that's, that looks like this is this. And there's actually a moon with a survivable atmosphere like that. I was like, okay, Holloway, great. But then again, to go right back to her and so just then, you know, passing the ball to your buddy, like, okay, back me up here. I just, I, I, we got him. Just hook him in and we've, we, we've made the sale. And she's like, well, I don't know. It's, it's what I choose to believe. It feels right. Yeah. Well, well and you don't make, seems- you don't, you don't take a two, $200 billion, $2 trillion, whatever mission based off feeling. You have yeah. data, you have facts and no one will spend that kind of money. Tesla isn't, you know, going to the moon or wherever based off of, oh, this is a pretty good idea. No, they have facts, yeah. you know, no one but like, oh, why don't we get a, a pastor could really be really good in this position. Why don't we get a pastor? You know, it'll be great with, to work with Tesla. You think it'll work? God's telling me it's going to then send him up, you know, wake him up when he gets there. <laughs> and this is the franchise okay. where the audience loves the little details, the data. We eat that shit up. Yes. Well, you, yes. I, it's like to uh, circle what, back to you guys said. Why would you, you know, dumb it down? It, this mm-hmm. whole franchise is built like you have these great themes and creation to talk about. Why not back it up with some fucking nerdy ass, detailed writing? It's like that. Sure, you have this great one-liners. What I choose to believe, great, it's clever. But give us the dorky stuff. That's what we're tuning in for. <laughs> right, and to ride off Google, what you were saying before too. The the <laughs> The three carrying that scene are again Fastbender, Charlie's, and then yeah. um, Guy Pierce. I mean, you have what I really enjoy about that scene, other than everyone else, is you have Fastbender or David. He's sitting so erect. He's <laughs> so excited to have this plan unveiled. He's so excited to see his you know father come out from the screen and, and say the closest thing i've ever had to a son is possibly the this person before you and then to show how hurt and sort of just he doesn't know how to take it then when guy Pierce, you know his only flaw is he doesn't have a soul and it's 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 kind of heartbreaking and fastbender's carrying that scene so yeah far and charlie he does say, so much with so little right and then to have everyone else just blow it so hard <laughs> is so frustrating because it's that's it's a really touching scene and especially now with covenant and the intro and to see where david is and how this sort of Bring relationship tea, with his father yeah. has devolved into madness it's great when yeah. you know what's coming yeah. but everyone else blows it so bad in that i mean just to freaking have this guy like joking in the back and oh my god it's, it's and Prometheus to me is that that's that's the experience of Prometheus. It is a lot of things that really hit right up against greatness. They kind of scratch at this at that glass of, of making a great film, and then they just get like lost in this in this sea of mediocrity and weird filmmaking choices. You know the the early scenes in this movie, as we discussed a, a while ago, 
um, were very different in early, well, not very different, but there were different aspects in, in earlier scripts, right? So for example, originally they had this team going to like every academic institution in the world and being turned away. And they have a whole thing where they talk about it and they're like, we keep getting shut down. It's never going to happen. It is going to happen. Believe in yourself. Let's make out and make it happen. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's still very juvenile, but at least like they're, stay, they're pretending that this wasn't just like a five-year-old's concept of what science looks like. But in Prometheus, the film that we get, it's really like, look at these drawings. They look alike. Let's go fucking two years into the future and find <laughs> find out the meaning of life. I will say this in its defense a little bit, and then I'm going to complain about it again. But a little bit of defense that I have is that if there is anybody who would bankroll something like that, it would be Charles Whalen, right? If, if there is anybody who would just make a dumb, rash decision based on no empirical evidence whatsoever. Peter Whalen, Charles right? ABP. Just fuck, I keep doing that. I do that every single episode. <laughs> Peter Whalen. Um, it would Way be- off on your Whalen time. Yeah, I am. Uh, it would be him because because he's also like dying. He's at the end of his life, and he's you know a, a you know monomaniacal person, and he doesn't have a board to answer to. He has unlimited resources. He's like engineered artificial life. He can do whatever he wants to. He's sort of like a Wallace character in twenty forty nine, right? Um, so like if there was anybody who would do that, it, it would be him. Not that that makes sense, and that's also not what they intended in the film. And I'm giving it like I tend to do a lot of credit where it does probably doesn't deserve it because this is bad screenwriting that, you know, you can justify after the fact by making it kind of make sense. But from a headcanon perspective, that's what I choose to believe. Um, from, uh, and I, I want to go back to something you said a while ago, uh, uh, Peter. Um, and I'm thinking Peter Wayland. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, I'll fuck, I'll fuck up. And this is Charles, Charles Wayland is AVP. Peter Wayland yes. is Prometheus, right? Because Charles Bishop Wayland, that's right, I got another that. Um, so, but Peter from the Midwest, um, you were talking about Jurassic Park's opening scene, which, as as you know, especially Gogol and I have talked quite a bit about this. I, I absolutely adore Jurassic Park. Um, and I think Jurassic Park is a, a masterclass in screenwriting. And uh, let's take a look at like that establishing shot, right, where we're meeting our central character. So in Jurassic Park, you're meeting Dr. Grant in Utah. I think it's in Utah, in the desert at a dig, right? And there is a ton of science happening. Like there's a ton of things that you can learn about, whether it's the resonance chambers of the raptor skull, whether it's the ways that they go about conducting a dig, whether it's that CRT monitor that's hooded under the tent and they're all like staring at the, at the data. It's like, there's a lot of things happening that are scientific and interesting in it. There's also a lot of character happening, right? You're realizing this guy has some sort of an issue with kids. He's sort of like fed up with dealing with the press. He's kind of just like, doesn't he just wants to do his work and he kind of wants to be left alone to do it, but he kind of has all these obligations. So he's kind of curmudgeonly, but he's also brilliant and everybody respects him, but he's kind of like, okay, like I can move on. And then in addition to that, there's this comedic thing happening with the kid where they're having this back and forth and then he scares the shit out of this kid. And you realize like, oh, this guy, although he's like our hero in this story, he's the person we're going to be like watching this through. Um, he's not perfect. Like this is going to be a ride of, he's going to have some redemption to go through. And I, so from the very first eight minutes of, that, of Jurassic Park, I know everything that I need to know about the world in which this operates, the way that they're treating me as an audience member and the way that they're treating the main character, which is to say that he's like a flawed, interesting person who I really want to watch grow and I want to watch change. But the way that we're introduced to the characters in Prometheus as we get the movie, um, and uh, less so I think in the earlier drafts, but in, in, the, in the actual film that we got, there is like none of that. We get only the most superficial glimpse into what they're doing and who they are. And then even a more superficial glance into what this mission actually consists of to the point where as an excuse to explain it to us, which we, they shouldn't have to do, right? As an excuse to explain to us what's happening, they have to explain it to the people that are already on the fucking mission, which is absurd. In Jurassic Park, for example, 
there's a reason, you know, Hammond explains it to Grant because he's hiring him to do this thing. And Grant knows nothing about it. And he's like, and he's like, this sounds absolutely ridiculous, but like, you know, and then it, it leads into this whole thing. In Prometheus, um, there is, it's, it's already happened. Like it's, it's, it's ex post facto. They're already on the mission and they're learning about what's going on. Um, so I, I think just from a, from a, sc a screenwriting standpoint, I find that really problematic. I do though, think that there are character moments that are really good. And I do think that Fassbender's performance in this is absolutely, absolutely iconic in a lot of ways. And, in, and in I like him more in Covenant personally, but I love him in both of these films. Um, and I think that Vickers also, <laughs> I think, um, I, I think that, that Charlize Theron, like an amazing actress, fucking adore Furiosa, love Monsters Ball. I love all the shit she's done. She's incredible. Uh, or not Monsters, Monster, not Monsters Ball, that's Halle Berry. Um, great actress. Uh, given a part that sucks on this, on the page, I really think that Vickers as she exists in the script is like, I mean, I would not know how to play that. I also would be like, why am I being cast as this beautiful blonde woman? But like, but in, in addition to that, like, what do I do with the script? Right. Because she's just written as this like skulky bitchy bureaucrat, you know, who's just sort of like skulking in the corner, like being like, <laughs> and, um, and then you see what Charlize Theron does with it. And it's actually really deep and really interesting. And I agree with both of you who are talking about this, that her, her relationship with David is really fascinating the entire time because there's like a sibling rivalry component to it. And, and I adore that. And it brings out this thing that I love about David, which is that he's sort of this dark Pinocchio character to me. Like he's like this, he's, he's, he, he wants to be a real boy, but not for the reasons Pinocchio wanted to be. Like, he doesn't want to just exist. He wants to like, to, he wants to see through us, I think. And I think that's like really interesting. And I think Vickers sets up a good thing for him to explore that angle through. I don't know. I, I think, I think he, he alone for me makes this movie um, better than I think it, it would otherwise be. I would agree. I, I think that he's great. I also think that um, Charlize's Vickers is good. Like, I remember seeing, I think I saw the film four times in theater. One of it was in 3D. And I remember feeling like Charlize Theron's character, I felt, was the most, the character of the most depth. Um, I think maybe something that we're not discussing, and we haven't discussed before, as it relates to these characters, is that these are the first characters set in an Alien film directed by Ridley Scott since Alien. And I would just say that the original trilogy. So that's the legacy. That's the backdrop. So everything we're seeing, we know what amazing characterization is. We know what an amazing performance is. That's, that's what we have in our consciousness, in our hearts, as we sit down. And I think, unfortunately... That's also what the writers had as they addressed this. So everything that they were writing was almost every pen stroke or every keystroke, we knew that Brett existed. We knew that um, uh, Yafet Koto's um, Parker existed. We knew what these characters like, oh, okay. So they're trying to sort of make them, they tried to, you know, Yannick was sort of the, he tried to be kind of the every guy, the everyday guy playing the accordion. Just you could feel that they were trying to emulate what this great dialogue that we had come before. So I think part of the issue we're experiencing is, as we have this legacy of films in our head and in our hearts, and we're about to see the first film from the essential father of sci-fi come back to his series. All of those hopes, all of those, everything 
in that theater with us. So I feel like not just us as the audience, but the writers approach the material with that as opposed to let's do something let's let's do something free of the of the chains of those characters as opposed to those characters being chained to the original trilogy and what happens they just they don't me they don't measure up and i feel like part of it wasn't even so much I, I just think it was a big ball and chain hanging on prometheus he's back this is going to be amazing and it you know the characters didn't match up and i think part of it was is i don't know if they could i don't know if they could um and i don't know if uh, Ridley Scott, and I think that's another aspect that we don't we haven't really discussed in full, maybe pieces, is that when the script was being written, when these characters were being written, it was being written in tandem with Ridley Scott. He was giving direction. Uh, Damon Lindelof said that he sat in the room with Ridley, as did John Spates, and Ridley would throw out these ideas, and he'd go and he just he adjust the script, um, and. It was a film that was bigger on ideas and smaller on characters. And it was this strange flip, whereas before, Alien was big on characters. It was a big idea, but it was a big idea perceived through the lens of people like you and me, who sort of get up and we got to go to work and we got to live our life and what do we deal with, you know, what, you know, what if we see a car wreck? How do we respond to it? And you have these seven characters in Alien responding to an ongoing car wreck and what that's like. We can relate to that. And so then we now then we have the, all these new characters, which I think how many new characters are in this film? Like more than like 10, like 12, 12. Yeah, okay. And so their perception is, oh, it's the beginning of mankind. We've just discovered the beginning of mankind. And that's a concept I don't know if any of us can wrap our heads around. And I remember when I first saw Prometheus, I remember saying it's a masterpiece of a film trapped in a very flawed film i remember i said that over and over and i think i still agree with that idea because i think that the ideas are, are just profound the engineers are profound i do love shaw at the end i love her when she's been stripped of her sort of religious mumbo jumbo she's been stripped of holloway and she's got to survive she becomes more relatable when David is talking to her after his head is severed, he's like, you've got to run. Like, this thing is after you. Like, I remember feeling like, oh, shit. Like, I was I was on board in that last, like, 20, 25, 30 minutes. But I, I, I feel like the whole setup of Prometheus was almost set up to fail. Not that anyone set it up to fail, but not enough thought went into what are we creating here? What are we doing? Is this character driven? Because that's what the originals were. So it isn't. So we need to adjust. It was sort of all thrown together and the characters were who the characters were. But again, to everyone's point, I think that Fassbender was amazing. I think that Charlize had some interesting work. Uh, I don't think she didn't seem one note to me. She seemed like steely for sure and a little bit bitchy but there was stuff going on with her you knew that there was some jealousy going on with her there was some her father ended up being on board the ship even uh before the film released remember they had those david commercials which i thought were amazing we those had, were awesome uh peter's ted talk which again very character driven these are the characters of this film and it was really really well set up like you're like when I remember seeing that commercial for David feeling like, oh, wow, this is I've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen a commercial like that for a movie before. It felt wholly authentic. Um, and so part of it was the setup. 
I think it was like they were trying to do the character stuff before the movie to get out of the way. Here you go. Yeah. Take care yeah, of the character I, stuff in the viral videos. Now you're set for the movie. I think one of the really like, fun things, this is exactly why I always <laughs> wanted to be on one of these episodes, Jamie. Just listening to you there had so many things coming through my head, and I'll try and get through them if I can keep them in there for a second. I think a big issue with this is the, the ball and chain issue. And I think if maybe they had been a little more comfort and this is going to get into some fan fiction stuff so if anyone hates that stuff turn off the mics you know go <laughs> go re-up on the beer quick um but what you were just talking about just sounds like they were sort of what worked before was the crew the group you know this this tight-knit group where i don't know for me just again having only watched the beginning just before i got on here i think the whole film could have been carried by Fassbender, Theron, uh, Wayland, then maybe throw in only like one more or something. I mean, imagine a film sort of more like Moon or sort of an isolating film and you get to explore more David and Vickers and their relationship with their quote unquote father. I mean, is Vickers, I mean, there's probably the whole Decca or Deckard, you know, replicant thing going on there. Is she human, is she not? But the whole journey could have been done without this bloated sort of superfluous cast, which I think, and I think we all would agree, detract from the movie, where you, if you would have had these, you know, more character driven, spend more time with only fewer people. I mean, the way I keep, what kept popping in my head when you were talking, Jamie, is sort of the 2012 trope of, you know, bands. If you look to music at that time, like every band, like, um, Oh, I just lost their name. Uh, anyways, it just seems like every band from that year had like Black 12. Eyed Peas. No, the, <laughs> like the indie what, rock. Uh, everything sounded like kids that. And, um, no, 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 not even that. Um, anyways, but every band seemed to have like 12 people on stage. You got a flute, you got a violin when it's like, well, you need some drums and maybe a guitar and a bass. Where this movie, it seems like they just added so much superfluous cast because it felt like for an alien movie, you need to have a crew where I feel like a lot of it could have been carried on this whole David Wayland father-son relationship and Vickers and sort of a lot of that. Yeah, they so, could have pared it down way yeah, better because David really could have mapped out that place. They didn't need a geologist. David could speak any yep. language he wanted to. He could yep. have done that for them, really. Totally. I think there's, there was a lot of fat and it wasn't trimmed. Um, they right. could have consolidated yeah. characters. Problem. And I think yeah, even Dan O'Bannon when he was writing Alien, talked about like there were other characters and um, Guiler and Hill trimmed things down. They made it yeah. more of a, uh, uh, they trimmed it down for brevity uh, and it worked. It worked in spades. Um, I, I, yeah, it's sort of spilt milk, but I, I would agree. And I think, yeah, that's a tough thing. Listen, I, I know people like to shit on Ridley Scott for bad decisions, but but I, I think that this honestly sits with John Spates, who I, I, I think is brilliant and, and I love him. But what no, I think happened no. was, but I think it did because he got greenlit on the basis of just a pitch in this meeting. And then they gave him like a, a matter of hours to come up with a treatment. And he did. And, he, and he, I think what he did was he took shortcuts, kind of threw together, um, you know, an analog from Alien where he was like, hey, well, there's got to be a crew. We're going to have this one and this one, this one, this one. This one. And, then he, and then he turned it around in like a week. Um, and then I think they were like, okay, great, let's make it. And he was like, what? Okay, we're making this movie now. Where's the script? And then he wrote the script. And I, I think no, at no point, and so sure, Ridley Scott, you know, at some point in there could have pushed back if he'd, if he'd had that instinct, you know. 
but Ridley Scott's not a screenwriter, you know. So that there's there's that. You're forgetting though. You're forgetting if you read up on John Spates's history with Prometheus, much like Lindelof, they called him in. They asked him about writing an alien film, and he sat with Ridley Scott every step of the way writing the story. And then they're like, okay, he, he's got it to the best he can get it to. Then they called in Lind- Lindelof. And Lindelof went through the same thing with Ridley Scott in a room. Let's make it. Let's strip things out. Let's 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 work on this. So it's not like Lindelof just threw out his own ideas. Yes, he came up with the treatment, but that was all based. A lot of it was based on ideas from Ridley Scott. It wasn't something they're like. But at the same time, to your point, Patrick, they did the same thing with Joss Whedon. Oh, can you come up with an alien script? They did the same thing. With sure. Joss totally. Yeah. Uh, and that's not how you make a movie. It just right. isn't. Um, You don't, you don't, but that's how movies are made or sometimes that's how movies are made where, Hey, we have a really important IP here. What can we do with it? I've gone on about that over and over where it's this committee. Uh, This is a great idea. Let's use this. Let's do that. Oh, that was great. In that movie. Let's throw that in. Let's throw that in. Let's throw that. Here's what happened, but with a couple more butt cheeks. Yeah. Give me like yeah. two more butt cheeks. Then we're good. Then we're good. We're good. Give me yeah. a foot scene. I want a foot rub. That's good. Let's do aliens in a ship this time. <laughs> and bring Ripley back, you know. That's what Prometheus, that's what Resurrection was. But I, I, I mean, that's sort of Spates has gone on about that process. That it was a process that involved Ridley Scott every step of the way. And I think even if that wasn't the case, and again, I'm no, I think I know quite a bit about the Alien series. I think we all pr- probably really almost experts or whatever. I am not perfect. I don't know everything. I am wrong. I like just need to say that because whatever. Um, but. Even if that were the case and Lindelof threw in a script and they said, let's do it. Spates, not Lindelof. Sorry, Spates, yes. It comes down to the director. The director knows the material. The director should know the material. The director should know what made um, the original film great. The directors are the one who have approval on things like that. Oh, this probably needs to be written, rewritten. This isn't working. Let's try something else. It cut all falls into the director's lap or if it's a more of a studio controlled picture sometimes the studio executives are saying no we don't like that take that out we don't okay you can film this but we're not going to use it oh you film that okay that's interesting let's use that use use that but not let's not use that like that's the process of these movies being made um, so uh, to me, if anything, the producers and the directors should know better. They should know what kind of script that they have. They should know when characters are well-written and when they're not. And I don't think that this was the case. I think um, it was a speedy process. It was too fast. And I don't think, I think more care was going into the ideas than it was going into the characters, which we have discussed before. Just I do like, though. Yeah, I do like how uh, maybe it's to Ridley Scott's benefit as we've talked how he kind of just wanted to explore more ideas. I do think some credit should be given that he did glom on to David and used him sort of to get us through this. I mean, he gets this whole cast through this movie again. Fastbender is amazing and we've already talked about that. But David as the character kind of he's the one to say or to sort of explore more when everyone else is so like Holloway's like, oh, we met him, but I'm so depressed. And, you know, the other guys are running around with their heads off like home alone going, oh, oh, we're in a maze. And, you know, but David's the one like, well, okay, well, let's go actually do something. Let's go explore. Let's go find this chamber. I'm, I've been, well, you guys have been sleeping. I've been studying languages. 
I've been studying what actually needs to be done on this mission, what we need to figure out. And I like that they actually had someone there to do that, to engage the maps, to engage the holograms that then run around the, my favorite stuff, you know, the sort of, here's the world, here's the lived in, here's how the engineers did something. I don't think we ever actually needed to even meet an engineer in this movie. I enjoyed the ghosts and sort of David experiencing the ghosts of them. And while the humans are all like, oh, they're ghosts and I'm so depressed. David's like, well, this is great. You know, I'm going to go learn something. I'm going to go actually do something and carry this story forward and propel it. And I think at least maybe Ridley Scott giving him, I don't know if he deserves the credit, but he does. I mean, he's, he's brilliant. But he, he at least had the know with all to say, well, here's one character who's going to do it. Everyone else, here's your alien stuff that I'm just throwing to you. I think, you know, kind of playing into the beast is cooked. I'm going to throw all you dumb fans some alien stuff, but here's a story I'm going to push forward. And at least he picked something that was interesting. I mean, that's sort of my take on the movie. At least he picked someone to, to drive this. That's true. A little bit different than just another Ripley clone. Agreed. 100%. And I don't feel like Shaw. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, but I was about to say, you took the words. I was about to say, what I liked about Shaw, at least Shaw was um, different. You know, she was, wasn't like all the other, you know, um, she had a different story. She just wanted to go home. That's all she wanted. It wasn't, you know, she wanted to explore. It wasn't, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, surviving, wants to kill the alien. She just had a, she's her own thing. She's at least different then uh, she's like she's not bootleg ripley she's just uh she's her own character which i at least admire that's at least something you could latch on to so i give him credit there i would agree and i, I don't feel like shaw was ripley i don't feel like no not at all uh, uh i i don't she was she was not uns, uh, like i think really shaw not that we're talking about daniels but really like shaw was her own character as flawed as she might have been in terms of the writing of the character she did not feel like Ripley. She wasn't there to be Ripley. She was there to be a strong female lead in this new story. And even by the end of it, as she was essentially surviving, similar to Ripley, I never felt like, oh, stop trying. She's not Ripley. Let's not try and go there. Whereas with Daniels, I felt that way about her. Um, yeah. I thought she was, again, My, I don't like the character of Shaw at all until the last 25 minutes. Um, because she's just seemed more believable when people go through trauma they seem more relatable because we've all been through trauma we can we know what that's like we've all been through really rough stuff and it up until that point they seemed like everybody seemed perfect shaw seems kind of this, this goody two shoes like no we're on a science mission we can't you know like no like this is what i choose to believe like this is my cross this is what like she's just Nobody talks like that. Nobody lives that way. I mean, I guess there's some people who do. Um, but I, I loved her at the end of Prometheus. I really did. And in fact, when we see her again in The Crossing, is that that short film about her? Is that what it's called? With her and David? In okay. the, coven the Covenant, yeah. like special features. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally on board. I'd miss seeing her by the time I see her in The Crossing. Yep. Like she is a character worth exploring that they don't explore. I mean, I think that there's a whole movie there about what happened between her and David. There's a whole movie right there, which could involve an alien probably on that ship if they wanted to. Um, who knows what's going on in that ship? Um, because all of the uh, the things with ampules? the black the, the ampules, yeah, they're all there. Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to get too far down there. But I really did dig Shaw by the end. I just can't take the first hour and a half of her. And she was something people really missed when they saw Covenant. Yeah, you know, that, that I I was 
I mean, because you saw her dog tag in the trailer and everything. I, I was fully anticipating getting quite a lot of Shaw in that. And I was surprised that I was excited about it because I didn't think I actually cared about her very much until realizing she was coming back and be like, oh, this could be, I, I actually do kind of care about what the trajectory of her journey was. Um, and that being said, like, you know, initially this was supposed to be, there, was, there were seven films that were going to be happening. So there probably was at one point a different idea where there was going to be, you know, more explored in the intervening years between Prometheus and Covenant. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the outline initially. Um, I mean, with seven movies, you could do a whole fucking film about like when she went to get coffee between <laughs> between the two films. I mean, it's like there's so many. Um, but yeah, it's uh, she. I, I think she she's definitely a fan favorite. I think she comes up quite a bit. There's fan art about her and things. Uh, I think she's uh, emerged as a really great protagonist, um, and not great, but a, a really good protagonist. I think who kind of carried the movie in the end. Um, as a good foil for David, as a good counterpart for him. Um, and I think she's uh, worthy, you know? Yeah, I think where, where a lot of the characters sort of fell flat, she at least, like you said, in comparison to David, she was sort of the humanist human on the ship to where, yeah, you know, we've been Reagan on her for her scientific failures and her inability to explain any theory to why they're there other than her belief. But maybe that is why, you know, when you think of her compared to David and he's sort of looking down, I think Patrick in the, in the script episode, I recently listened to that. And I think you had, it was you or Dan maybe had some sort of theory that, you know, maybe some of what we're seeing is sort of a weird view of what David sees us. He sees us as dumber than we are he sees us as weaker than we are but you know even when you see some other being as being weaker or dumber if they just have some heart and some spirit you know maybe you kind of pull for them a little and maybe it's sort of that typical you know and goes into sort of the heady uh, title of the movie you know maybe he has come down from the gods and he's saying well you know what okay fine yeah i can see why you might be worth saving, or I can see why maybe you do deserve some sort of answer as to why these Elvis gods want to destroy you. Okay, I'll help you out and let's go there. When, you know, so yeah, I, I think, you know, she, maybe in my new fan fiction, you know, she's the one out of the crew that stays. You know, it's her, David, Vickers, and weird Peter Wayland ghost man. So, you know, I'm still working on the draft. I think it's it's actually Charles uh, Wayland in this one, Peter. I'm sorry to, to have to tell you that. It's not for listeners out there who are yelling at me. I know that it's not okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm that was one big. You know, that's one complaint no one talks about is that they totally destroyed the continuity of the AVP films and not bringing Lance Hendrickson. And this, well, I don't think they're in really the same universe. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was supposed it to be separate. This was supposed to be yeah. one timeline. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a documentary. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Peter. This and, is, uh, this is a documentary based on okay? a true story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I, I like the character of Peter Whalen, though. I actually even think uh, when yeah. he shows up on the ship, I, I liked him. He was believable. I think there's some issue with the makeup or whatever, but I liked yeah. I liked his presence on that ship. It changed the dynamic a little bit. It felt a little bit fresher. Um, and yeah. I, I liked sort of... More of it. What are you saying, Patrick? Well, <laughs> I'm just saying he's a great character. Oh. Well, yeah. and I like the idea. Uh, there's some thematic similarities with... 
Peter Whalen's character towards the end of his life when he's in the cham- the, the the chamber with the engineer and Blade Runner, he's asking for more life. Um, I sort of like that. I thought that was a really well executed idea um, because, you know, what what do the really rich want? Supposedly, they want to live forever. They want their money to live forever. They want to keep going on and they can that can make them crazy. And what do they do? They travel for two years at the end of their life and they ask a strange God that they've never met for more life essentially they wanted to know the secret of the universe and i thought that was a good and fresh um take in the alien lore i suppose and with that really we could probably close don't you think patrick yeah so thank you guys for coming on the show we really appreciate it um peter from the midwest you're awesome amazing thank you so much uh, for taking the time. It's great to have you on Perfect Organism. Finally, Dave Gogol, who runs xenomorphing.com, who also has his own alien-inspired podcast called Hive Mind. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Dave is not on this show enough, and he should be on more. Hopefully that can happen in the future. Um, but before we go, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. Number one is Patreon. We have a Patreon account, and we have, you know quite a few patrons and you can get involved in that for as little as two dollars a month with that two dollars a month you can get frame rate which is our film review show you can also get chit show which we're behind on right now but it's a whole lot of fun and you can help support the show and all of your money goes back into the show uh we're talking about a live event possibly for next year we're going to release a very large audio drama coming up soon well we're talking about when that's going to happen, but we're in the editing phase for that right now. All of the money that you go, that you pay, or that you give us, goes back into supporting the show, whether it's with live shows or with audio dramas or fees and hosting and all those kinds of things. So, come aboard. Um, lastly, is there a lastly, Patrick? No, I don't think there is. Thank you, everyone, so much. We appreciate you. Talk to you soon. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.